0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A's. No special announcements or anything, so let's just jump right in. First up, Dan Bailey wants to chime in in regards to the question about funny games. The USA English PS2 version of Castle Shikagami 2 is at the top of their list for suggestions. I definitely remember hearing about this one, and one of these days I'll have to play it just to have a good laugh. But thank you for passing that along. I'll uh, ho- Hopefully that one will make the list. Next, Lily Larceny recently picked up over 25 Xbox 360s for less than five bucks each, and amazingly, several of them work. The trouble is they don't have nearly enough power adapters or video cables for them. It seems this is a common problem for 360s. The consoles are everywhere, but there's no cables for them. Is there any way to easily adopt something like a universal laptop charger or other power supply that isn't so difficult to come by? Or maybe some open source option they could have made? Seems like a bummer to let them go to waste, especially when they already work. If not, I guess I should set up camp at the thrift store. Well, first, here's an idea for you. Why don't you stack them Uh, like three wide maybe and uh, as high as they go and bring them to your next gig and set your guitarist's head on top of it so it almost looks like your guitarist is playing through a wall of xbox 360s obviously you know you don't have the power adapters to plug them all in for the lighting effects but i think that would be hilarious. You build that stuff, you strap it all together, you put it on like a rolling cart thingy or like a dolly, and then you just have it out there. and makes it look like you're playing through a bunch of Xbox 360s. There is one problem with this. Uh, your guitarist is probably going to hate that idea. But look, I know you're not supposed to prejudge groups. And I know you're not supposed to, to just assume people are going to do something before they do them. But your guitarist is going to hate it. Because it wasn't their idea. (laughs) Go ahead and cancel me for saying it. I'm a guitarist. I'll I'll take one for the team for that one. But uh, to answer your actual question, um, I vaguely remember people taking PC power supplies and modifying them to work with the 360s uh there's got to be some other way around it so what i would really like to do is ask anybody who is an expert at 360 modding to chime in on this one i'm not sure if durf listens to these but uh, he's the person in charge of consolemods.org and uh, i think his expertise lies in the xbox side of things so i i think i would just try to try to adopt whatever method out there uses good power supplies. So I am, without even researching, I am 100% positive you're going to find somebody that duct taped an old laptop power supply to it, spliced two lines together and said, look, it works. Isn't it great? Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. Use decent quality power supplies. Always use decent brand. Make sure the amperage is there. Make sure that it's more than enough to handle the 360. Uh, And if it really just comes down to the connector, once if you're able to make or, or purchase a custom connector, that would be great. That's another thing that I think would be awesome for the homebrew community is what if we made a 3D printed version of that power connector with a little PCB that broke out the different voltages, and then maybe you could use just a desktop PC power supply for that. I don't know. There's got to be there's got to be a way to do it, or maybe we could use a desktop power supply and just have custom cables made with one end for the 360 and the other end the standard the new standard ITX that could plug into almost every single uh, every single PSU that doesn't have the wires dangling out. The ones that have the connectors on them. I think all of those would be excellent ideas. I just would be absolutely useless other than to suggest it and then hopefully have people that are smarter than me jump on board and, and kind of take that with us so let us know what you got for 360 power supplies next up escape wants to know if i've heard of any incompatibility issues with the analog DAC and GComp switches uh, first of all, did I say the name right? It seems like you're going for escape, but I never mean to mispronounce them, so my apologies if I did. But anyway, um, when they plugged in their analog DAC to the GCom switch, uh, there's some weird rolling bars on the screen, and then as soon as they turn on the console, the bars are gone and everything works fine. So it sounds like what's happening is a common problem for certain types of DACs and adapters like this, in that... The DAC is still on even when the console is off, which I don't think was supposed to happen that way. I thought it was supposed to be off until it detected the console on. But if not, I don't have a DAC anymore. So I really, otherwise I would be able to test for you. So my apologies. I, I just, I'm guessing on this one, but it seems like a power issue, not a switch issue. Because if the G comp is detecting something, it's going to switch to that input and then the DAC might just be outputting nothing. It might just be outputting just voltage down the lines, just, you know, low safe voltage, but voltage down the lines. And this probably when I say probably, I mean, 99.9% won't hurt your display. 99.9% won't hurt your G comp, but it's weird. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. The, um, there was another notorious switch that did that, that, uh, Uh, I think the newer models don't, so I don't want to say the name, but it wasn't the G switches. Um, But uh, yeah, I I refused to to use one of those because of that, just because like, what if I'm wrong, right? What if I'm wrong and you're going into a BVM that you just paid top dollar for, you just paid to have have calibrated. And now it fries because I was, I guessed wrong. Like, I, I just, I don't like stuff like that. Not when you're going into expensive equipment, that's probably important to you. So my thought on this is, have you tried any of those inline USB power adapters that have a power switch in them? And that way you could just, um, you know, if you sit it strategically by the console, it's not that big a deal. It's not like you would have to walk all the way over and press a button and you just, you know, you reach behind the console, you flick the switch, you turn the console on, and then it powers on. I think that might be kind of a cheesy, but easy walk, workaround for this issue, but I really thought the DAC was supposed to stay off unless the console was turned on, so you might want to double-check on this, but um, it's definitely not a problem with the G-Comp, because the G-Comp's just doing its job, detecting a signal and, and trying to pass it through, but... Uh, I don't know. I would absolutely think of just using the inline power adapter because they're cheap. And if you could buy one to try it out, because you said you had multiple decks, I believe. So buy one to give it a try. If it doesn't work, whatever, you're not out that much money. It's less than 10 bucks, I believe. It's just worth giving it a try. Um, It looks like Eric also had a similar issue with the analog NT Mini Noir. And they said they got rolling bars on their TV, and then after a moment, they would get a, regu- uh, a regular picture. And their non-simple technical workaround is to turn on the console first, wait a few moments for the GComp to log on the signal, and then turn on their TV. So that's fine. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's nothing, once again, pretty sure there's no harm going to the G-Comp. Uh, but if you really think about it in the scheme of things, what if you blew your G-Comp out? Isn't that so much better than blowing out a rare BVM? Or isn't it, you know, what if you have, what if you get the next-gen scaler that comes out and you pay top dollar? So, you know, while I don't think it's a problem, and while they are very robust pieces of equipment, it's, it's nice to know that at the very least you're having one thing kind of take the brunt of whatever you're worrying about first. But once again, I genuinely do not think this is a damage issue. I just think it's a, you know... Just try not to do it because what if I'm wrong type of thing. So, And if anybody has any more thoughts on this, please speak up. If I'm dead wrong in either direction, go right ahead and and let me know on this one. My gut feeling on this and my guessing is based on quite a few years of deep testing and power circuits and video circuits and, you know, both for retro and modern stuff. So it's not just a complete stab in the dark, but yeah, I feel like I'm on the right track with this one and I feel like erring on the side of caution is definitely a better way to go for all the reasons I already said. So let me know what you all think about that. Next up, Tony Escobar wants to know about composite video switchers. They were thinking how nice it would be to connect some consoles to their Zenith Healthview CRT that only takes composite. Yeah, uh, and the good thing about it is because it's composite video, you're not really going to have to worry about a lot of the signal interference issues that you might get on things like RGB SCART switches, because if you use sync on composite cables, composite video interference could leak into the other lines. But... Composite video is your signal. So going to get a cheap push-button switch could very well work on the first try, meaning like, you know, buy some cheap thing from Amazon, AliExpress, eBay, whatever else, and just use it and not really worry about it. Um, Also, you could find component video switches like this one. Somebody had recommended this on AliExpress. It is super cheap. I haven't tested it yet. I will be testing it in a week or so. I'll be doing a random stuff live stream soon where I'm going to be testing a ton of stuff. But if it's a manual push button switch, there's no signal detection. It's doing the same thing as unplugging and plugging the cables back in. So if you wanted to have a scenario... Now, I know, Tony, for your CRT, you only have composite video. And that's fine. But if you wanted to have a scenario where you were mixing stuff like that into the Retro tank 5X, let's just say, you could just put composite video in the green lines and then have component video. So maybe it's a four input switch and two of the inputs are component and two are composite. Just have the two composite ones go into the green wire and then connect those to the Retro tank 5X. And there you have it. One cheap switch that you could just press a button and have it connected to your tank. And then obviously you just need to toggle between component and composite on the tank. So for you, Tony, because it's uh, your CRT is composite only. I'll see if I could find an Amazon link for the cheapest one, which I think you should start with it. Cause if you spend, I mean, it's been a long time since I bought one, but I think I used to see them for under 10 bucks. So imagine spending like eight bucks on a switch and it just works fine. Maybe you get a little tiny bit of audio buzz or something. Leave it just, you know, just totally leave it. The other thing that you could do is go through an Extron cross point and then you could have, if that's a matrix switch, you could have every combination that you want. So put composite into the red jack. You can't use composite as sync on those, but you absolutely can put them on the red jack. I have that and that setup back there with the two CRTs from my crazy experiment I've been working on. But that would totally work. So whenever you're going to your Zenith, you would press the composite video in and go to the Zenith out. And if you wanted to go to, you know, component or RGB, you would just select which other inputs and outputs they corresponded with. So, um, you know, this, I could have just answered your question with, yeah, here's a link to something cheap, but I wanted to elaborate a little bit both for you and anybody else who was kind of in the same scenario of, you know, what about composite switches? Can I mix composite and component? And of course, you know, the G-Comp switch has its own dedicated composite input as well. So you could do component, You could do left and right audio, and you could either use that last one as digital audio or composite video. You have to pick one, though. Uh, And I've never tried the digital audio one. That was really just a guess for me, but we'll see. But anyway, uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'll leave a link to the cheap push-button ones, which you should probably start with anyway, just to see. Because if it matches the amounts of inputs that you need and it doesn't have any interference added, then it's a complete win for almost no investment compared to probably everything else that you have in your setup. So I'll drop a link for you. Speaking of switches, Justin Holt wants to know what I'd recommend for switching inputs in a very specific stereo hi-fi setup. The chain is turntable, CD player, and tape deck into a switch, I'm assuming an audio switch, into the Sonos port into the home theater receiver. Usually they just handle this by switching inputs at their receiver, but the Sonos throws a wrench into things. There's no monitor out from the receiver, so the Sonos has to sit between the audio devices and the receiver. They've had a couple of Xtron MLS 406 variants in their eBay watch list, but they were curious what I might recommend. So the only thing I'm not understanding is why those need to go into the Sonos. Is that... Uh, in order for you to access that stuff from your phone as an, uh, you know, like an app on your phone, so you go over to your turntable, you start playing, and then you could mess with your stereo on an app. Um, if you wouldn't mind elaborating as to why, I might have a different answer, but the actual answer, uh, based on the information I know, is I would look for just an auto sensing audio switch and go from there. Just a couple of RCA ins to a couple RCA outs, and see what happens. Now. Um, I'm giving this advice based on an average setup: a decent turntable, not nothing crappy, but nothing extravagant. Decent tape deck, etc. If you were using really high end equipment, though, you had a two thousand uh, dollar photo preamp hooked up to a, you know, that new Johnny I of sixty 000, uh, sixty thousand dollar turntable. That's a totally different story. And that, in fact, is out of my territory a bit, so I could point you in the right direction, but I wouldn't even be able to call out the right devices. So in answering this, I'm assuming you're just talking about basic level stuff, which is not an insult. It's just not a $60,000 turntable. So, you know, hopefully you took that the right way. But if that were the case, yes, I would just look for some auto-sensing audio switch and see what happens. Maybe going into that Sonos... um, would work perfect. You know, whatever device is on, it now it automatically gets switched. If not, I would go the opposite route, and just like I suggested for Tony, get the cheapest, most basic push-button switch. Look for audio file stuff, but don't pay too much for it. That uh, Solu Peak switch I have, the XLR audio box that I, I showed in the Room Tour video Maybe I showed it in the surround sound video, but uh, yeah, the surround sound video. That I spent a bit of money on because I wanted balanced XLR, but you can get the same type of just, you know, you have three ins and one out, and it's just a crank knob to select between the two. You can get those very cheap, and they should be fine, um, as long, especially if you don't have to plug them in, then it's even less of an issue because you don't have to worry about a lot of ground issues and power issues. So if you needed auto sensing, I would just get the cheapest auto one out there to see, buy it from a reseller that you could return it to. Uh, And if you just want to switch, I would just get the cheapest one possible. And then your, you know, your flow would be turn on your turntable, turn the dial or press the button to the correct input and then it just works from there. But if anybody has any other suggestions, I'm certainly all ears, but this is kind of one of those things where unless you start really pushing the boundaries of getting into higher end audio, I would just see what was out there that didn't ruin the signal. You know, if it sounds 99.9% as good plugged through the switch, you're fine. If you get a loud hum, obviously not. So certainly something to consider, but hopefully I at least pointed you in the right direction for that one. Adam Adam and is trying to solve the issue that some models of the Sega Saturn don't output enough power on their five volt power pin to power the rad two X, which then you require an external USB power supply for it. And, Depending on how your house power is, depending on a lot of things, depending on the quality of the USB power adapter you're using, you could actually end up getting noise, maybe some power ripple going down the signal. And on top of that, if it's not powered on in the correct order, the RAD2X might default to composite video mode and not RGB mode. So Adam was looking for a couple of ways around it. And one of them is to take the 5 volt output of the PSU and run that directly to pin four of the Mini-DIN 5 volt DC in order to make sure that it's got the correct amount of power to it. And would that be safe to do? What are the other options out there? And that's a really good question. So from a will-you-blow-things-out point of view, I'm pretty sure you would be okay doing that. Um, The question I have is why is there not enough power going to that pin? Is it because there's another chip on that line that, you know, at that where that five volts is going across the motherboard, is it going through a chip and then to the output? And does that chip draw too much power? Um, is there too much impedance on the line that might, well, that would drop the voltage, not the amperage, but You know, basically, if you do that, are you going to send too much power back to something else and blow a chip out? And I don't know. You would have to ask a Saturn expert for that. Also, if it did zero harm whatsoever, would you just be at the same time getting the same sort of interference that you were getting with the Rad 2X? Because would you be running power through something that's not cleaned up? So now you just have power ripple going through. I've never tried that either. Luckily, when I did the Rad 2X video, my Saturn worked perfect. My Model One it didn't need external power at all. The only thing that did was PlayStation. Uh, and I used a PlayStation 2 and used the front USB port for power. So that was perfect because it used its own power supply. So you could look into doing that i would i would talk to people that have in-depth knowledge of the saturn motherboard uh, that's certainly a possibility and maybe that's just a good solution for everybody i have no idea though so you definitely want to do a little bit of research the other thing that might be kind of easy though is to have uh, to try a different power supply first try i think triad has a usb power supply maybe you could use that but also Try plugging them into the same power strip. Cheap, cheap cheap-ass power strip. You don't have to go crazy, but try plugging both the Saturn and the Rad 2X into that. Um, Leave the Saturn powered on, so leave the button on, and use the, uh, the surge protector to toggle the power. That, powering them both on at the same time, making sure they're plugged into the same surge protector with a decent quality PSU, That could just solve all the issues for you. And that remains an external solution so that if you have multiple Saturns, that's how you could just kind of go about managing it. So that's not the most ideal, but that's very cheap and easy to get around. I'll see if I could find a link to the Triad power supply, but really just try any other power supplier for the Rad 2X and see what happens. The other thing that you could do is since you're using the Re-PSU, you could look at breaking out the five volt power from that into maybe uh, where, well, I'm not sure if that would work. I was going to say maybe where the power goes in, you could try to have something where there's like a little micro USB port there. So you could just connect the rad two X to that. That's potentially something that could work for you. But I don't know. I think maybe if you, I, if the two issues I'm having are, first of all, I don't, I don't have in-depth knowledge of how those problematic Saturn motherboards work and, why the issue occurs, and if this is something that's easily fixable by doing what you said. But also, what's the total use case for this? Are you going to be uh, always using it on one Saturn? Are you going to use the Rad 2X like a tool in your toolbox? Or like, oh, I'm going over my friend's house. They love the Saturn, so I'm just going to grab my Saturn and the Rad 2X and run. If that's the case, do you have a Saturn that is compatible with it? If not, if you only have this one, is it not? So... If we can't solve the technical end of this, maybe the total use case we could work on. So give me some clues as to that and we could kind of go from there and maybe I could have some easier solutions, but a slightly better power supply just in case, or at least a different power supply plugged into the same surge protector and have them all pl- you know, use the surge protector to power on the consoles. Maybe that's a bandaid for you. I don't know, but let me know and we can see if we could dig deeper into this. Next up, Oliver Clare had a question about the new Pixel FX HDMI adapter for the PlayStation 2 and how it'll affect things like using the link cable or the original AV port for Litecon games. So good questions. I have no idea though. Uh, they didn't really release much info at all about this stuff. So here, but what I can tell you is what they could do, and this is all fact-based. So, first of all, I think they're aiming for no-cut mods, which obviously I'm a massive fan of, but I think that requires removing stuff to place the HDMI port in its place. So, I vaguely remember seeing a snapshot or two of the optical audio output removed in a mini HDMI port in its place for the Slim, and I'm not sure where it's going to be on the FAT PlayStation, but... Either way, I'm personally okay with all of that. However, if they remove the link cable port, then that functionality is going to be gone. Um, also, uh, for I don't know if, it, if they're going to remove the original AV port, but I think it's going to be like the Dreamcast, where you could still have dual analog digital output. You know, the original AV multi-out plus the HDMI. If that's the case, then all light gun games will work exactly as if there was no HDMI mod. And I worded it that way because, you know, this isn't going to miraculously make it work on flat panels. If it didn't work before, it's not going to work now. But basically, if you have a setup that's already working with a light gun and you add this HDMI mod, as long as it doesn't remove the analog video port, that won't change. You can still leave it plugged into your CRT and then have HDMI just for streaming or to your flat panel or whatever else that you choose. Um, So that's basically it. I mean, you're really going to have to... Ask Pixel FX and ask them to put up their installation guides and more pictures of it and, you know, all the actual info that you'd want. But overall, I mean, I think um, it seems like a pretty cool product. So, uh, you know, if you were waiting for true digital to digital HDMI on your PS2, then this is obviously the one to get because there's no other ones out there. And if not, you know, getting a set of HD Retrovision cables and going to a Tink 5X is still an amazing way to experience it. um, That's not a dig. I'm just always trying to get all of the correct info out there and make sure everybody has both sides of the story. So if you want an excellent experience, just get really good shielded cables and a scaler. If you want a pixel-perfect digital-to-digital recreation of the signal, which at the moment could look very good, but as future scalers get released, could look even more incredible, then you're going to want the HDMI mod. Next, Dustin Madison said, thanks for pronouncing my last name. I got it right? I mean, I always try to get everybody's name right, but I usually fail. So hey, that's that's pretty impressive. But uh, anyway, uh, on to Dustin's actual question. How are light guns on BVMs, especially the D32? Perfect. Um, And that was the first question I asked. In fact, my friend Phil, uh, I became friends with him because I I messaged him on some random message board 12, 13 years ago, something like that, because I noticed that he was talking about getting uh, or owning the exact RGB monitor that I uh, was thinking about getting. Turns out I ended up buying one off of him anyway. Um, But I asked, hey, you know, you said you're using light gun games on this. Are there any restrictions? And he said, no. So I went and met him and bought him and he's been uh, bought the monitor and he's been stuck with me ever since. Uh, However, that was, I think the first video I ever put on YouTube was playing the versus arcade version of Duck Hunt on an RGB monitor just to prove that theory out. So works in composite, works in S video, works in component, works in RGB, would work in, you know, it would work if you converted it to an RGB HV, 15 kilohertz signal or whatever. I don't know why you would ever want to do that. But as long as you don't buffer the signal at all, it will work. So even going from, as we found out in testing, RGB to S-Video using any of those converters that are out there, that will still work with light guns as well. Uh, What will not work is going through, like if you passed it through the RetroTINK 2X and passed the remote back through another DAC, uh, that will not work because that buffers just... A few lines, but enough to make the light gun not work. So basically, yeah, uh, that was a very long two-minute way of saying light guns will work perfectly on RGB monitors, including Sony PVMs and BVMs, as long as it's just a direct analog connection. You don't put anything that buffers between it. So switches are totally fine. Your console through a GSCARD or GCOMP, all that stuff works fine. Your console through composite video and a manual push-button switch, all fine. So I just, sorry for the really long and drawn out answer, but when I first got into this stuff, it wasn't as easy of, well, will it work on RGB monitors? Yes. Well, will it only work in composite? Will it only work in art? The answer is yes to everything. So uh, good question, but yeah, it's, it's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, if you're, by the way, are you getting the D32 or did, were you able to find one or something? Because they're super rare and the prices are absolutely ridiculous, but you know, let me know if you found one. Um, but next question from Dustin, if I hit the big one, how do I think my workflow would change? Would I go crazy and invest in a big studio or employees or even crazier? Would I move back to Manhattan since so then you could actually afford it? So yeah, I would absolutely big. Uh, I mean, if that Powerball was like $700 million or something, I would without a doubt buy a, a small apartment right in my old neighborhood in New York city. I loved it there. I loved Manhattan. It, It just, it felt like it should have always been my home. I know how cheesy that is. I know, I get it. But a lot of the stuff they say about the city is true. And I really thought it was kind of like hippie woo-woo when I heard people say the city has an energy to it. But it really does. And I didn't realize how much until I moved away and then came back like a month later to visit some friends. And I got out of my car in my old neighborhood and I heard the sounds and smells and I felt like my battery was recharging. I know how cheesy it sounds. I know. Feel free to make fun of me. But yeah, I would absolutely move back to Manhattan. I'd probably keep this place and, you know, whatever else. Uh, But as far as retro RGB, um, I would live out my dream of only doing the stuff that I really love doing and only doing projects that either I I just have a blast doing, like playing DuckTales the other day. There are so many better gamers that could have played it. Uh, I think I watched Ron, the Handlebar Gamer, beat it uh, last year and he made it look fun. Whereas I fumbled around a little bit. I'd still do the stuff I love, but I'd stick to the stuff that nobody else seems to be doing. Uh, The weird things too, like the candy cap coin button, the SCART coupler, the HD 15 to SCART. Nobody was really interested in that stuff. And I kind of saw the need for it. So I'd continue pushing that, but I would basically, um, the whole website, if I, you know, if I won the big one, and didn't have to worry about paying my bills, all the ads would be turned off on everything I would basically make it an open source, not-for-profit company, and I would ask other people to kind of take over and run it, and I'd still do, I'd still probably work a solid week, just because I like doing what I do, but I just wouldn't have to, I wouldn't deal with anything that I wasn't really in the mood to do, because that's what you get when you win the big one, so... <laughs> um, As far as big studio or something like that, yeah, what I would do is what I've always dreamed of doing and having like an interactive museum club thing where you could go in and experience this stuff. Um, And, you know, there would have to be a fee because whenever you make something free, people don't respect it. Uh, You know, I guess uh, that's not always true. I think a lot of people go to museums and they give the minimum donation, but that's still technically paying even though it's supposed to just be a donation. Uh, But I I do think putting anything, five bucks, whatever, on there just kind of filters out some of the people that might not appreciate what's going on. But I would absolutely love for people to say, okay, I used to love the Zelda Link to the Past, and I just want to have the best experience possible. So I would love to see them go into a room with a calibrated PVM, Or maybe walk through an exhibit where you could see all the different monitors next to each other playing the same thing. So you could pick the one that your eyes prefer. And then another room will have every one of those monitors with two shielded speakers and you could put whatever console you want. I would love that. I would love to be able to build a place where people could come in and do stuff like that. And you know, you want to watch your favorite old TV show? Well, email us and then say okay, well we're going to look up the show. And I'm actually dealing with this now. I bought two versions of absolutely fabulous and it looks like from season three on one of them is in 29.9 frames per second and the other one's in 23 whatever so 24 and 30 frames per second and i don't is one right is the other one right so i would love to have like a concierge service where i could say hey you know i'd love to come in and watch the entire third season of absolutely fabulous on a a square four by three crt because that's what it was shot in and it's only stereo, so I just need stereo. I don't need surround sound. I would love to have the ability to have somebody go, okay, we'll have something prepared for you Thursday at 10. And you walk in and everything's already set and everything's calibrated to be running at the perfect refresh rate. Or if it turns out it was 24, we find a display that could do 72. And that's how you're watching it. And yeah, I mean, I would, I would really want to go above and beyond for stuff like that. But that would be negative money. That would be me, after winning a billion dollars, that would be dumping, you know, buying a building. So dumping a couple million bucks into buying a building, filling it with this stuff, filling it with a couple of other offices just to have some income to pay the taxes on the place, and then have volunteers come in and work as volunteers. And yeah, that would be it. So obviously a lot of big pipe dreams here. I mean, there was a long... Answer to your question, but you know, I think we all daydream of what we would do if we won a ton of money. But it's funny if, you know, even if I won uh, private island money, you'd still see me doing some of the stuff that I just really enjoy doing. And it, these Q and A's are certainly one of them. You know, I, I always love interacting and hanging out with everybody. And you know, sometimes there's some hard questions here, but I still really like doing it. So yeah, hopefully I answered your questions. Uh, let me know if you're getting a D32. If so. Holy crap. Uh, And yeah, um, that's kind of what I would love to do if I want a bunch of money. Next up, Oliver Clare said they've been considering uploading some videos to YouTube as they're starting to build out their setup. They have zero aspirations to try to make monetizable content or become a proper creator. They're really only interested in exploring ultra-niche questions that are only really interesting to them, like what happens if you plug a Super Audio CD PlayStation 3 into a 1970s quadraphonic sound setup, or how good could RF look under perfect conditions, or a live stream of two Genesis consoles connected by megamodems, or maybe a video specifically about their link cable connection or their console webcam collection, Or the other reason they might want to have a YouTube channel is to have videos that could be used as reference for the console mods wiki. So for example, if they found a couple of TurboGrafx-16 games that had decent sounding bass music when used with a low-pass filter and a subwoofer, they would add that to the list of 2.1 capable consoles on the wiki and make a short demo for YouTube that could be linked in the wiki as a citation. With that in mind, they're not planning to invest heavily in equipment, but they'd be grateful if you have any simple tips or advice that would make the videos a little more polished and enhance the production quality above a shaky phone recording with them rambling over the footage. So, first and foremost, I mean this honestly, I'm not BSing in anything, what you started with. You don't have any aspirations to make monetizable content. You're really only interested in doing fun stuff that I actually think a lot of other people would be interested in. That right there is the key because people that go into YouTube looking to make money are going to get disappointed immediately. And that's why you end up with a lot of drama channels, I think, because they go into this thinking they're going to be a big star. And when they only grow as much as everybody else, they start to get all pissy, and then make drama videos, and then those get hits, and they're like, okay, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and then you have a bunch of useless content, a bunch of grown-ass adults acting like children. still can't really wrap my head around that, but... uh, So the fact that you're coming in this with the proper mindset is correct, and it's one of those things where if your YouTube channel ever blew up huge, cool, you know? Either make it your side thing, or if you were looking to retire anyway, whatever, but... Uh, do it for the right reasons. And I started all of this, you know, I'm not trying to put myself up on a pedestal. I'm just proving the point that I'm not a YouTuber. I started all this so Cousin Scott and I could have a better retro gaming collection. And then as we dug deeper into it, I thought maybe a couple of friends might be interested in this as well. And then here we are 12 years later or whatever. So your mindset is the most important thing when you're going into this. Now, for actual hardware recommendations and what to do, um, lighting is key a hundred percent and camera is less important as long as you don't use a piece of crap. So if uh, you want to make a video about your old console webcam or old computer webcam collection, Maybe don't use the webcams to shoot it if it's a 19.99 Skype cam or whatever, unless you're doing comparisons of how they look, of course. But you know, my sarcasm aside, you just all you need is something that doesn't suck. So, you said your shaky cell phone camera. So grab. Actually, I always have this right next to me. These cost like. Well, if I don't drop it and shoot it across the room, these cost like two bucks. They're little things. They screw into any tripod. You could clip your cell phone right in. And because your cell phone doesn't weigh much, you could buy any cheap ass tripod. So having a tripod, having an app with manual settings for your camera, that is key. Um, I, there used to be good free ones. You might be stuck paying for them now, but see if you could hunt down a free app for that. If anybody has any recommendations, please let me know. But basically, tripod, tripod, and making sure that everything is shot manually. You have all your settings and your white balance. Here's the other thing. Um, I have all of this in my Amazon store as well. But this little thingy right here, I think it was 6 or $7. And all you do is you unfold it. You get it in the exact lighting. So you would put this, like for me, I would put it right next to where my head is. And that is how I would calibrate the color to make sure that the white balance was correct in your shots. And you have to do that every time the lighting changes. So just a crappy tripod and clip for your cell phone, something to balance white balance, a manual app. That's pretty much what you're going to need on the video side. And I would look into getting some kind of lighting. Uh, If you're in a super well lit room, and you only want to shoot when it's sunny out, that would work. If not, um, these clip lights are so handy. I actually mostly use them during streams as I'm holding on an extra light in front of whatever I'm talking about. But sometimes (laughs) Those things really come in handy. Uh, On the audio side of things, you could get, and all of this stuff is right in front of me, by the way, you could get uh, lav mics that plug directly into your cell phone. You can get stuff that plugs into your cell phone uh, and you end up um, like clipping it on and it's wireless. But the best would probably be if you did it live and you just talked using your phone's crappy you know, speaker on there. Which, by the way, when I, the first handful of in-person interviews I did, I brought a lav mic, and I also had my iPhone on that tripod. And very often, I ended up using my old-ass iPhone for the audio. I just processed it afterwards. So, you know, try whatever you can, but I would have your shots, and I would talk over them. And I wouldn't be afraid to ramble a little bit, because then I would go back, and I would get any decent mic... Even your cell phone, but you you build a little foam box and put your cell phone in the middle so there's no echo. But I would do that, um, and I would uh, I, I would try to re-record everything. So there are free software out there where you could put uh, your video file in and it spits out a script and it's mostly right. But I would then take your you know your ramblings and then cut it down. To a little bit more clearer of a thought, and re-record the audio. And once again, all you might need to do is just build a foam box for a couple of bucks and put your phone in it. You might just buy a microphone, and and you know, and do it that way. When I was in New York, I used to have a lav mic, but I would go and open up the closet doors, and I would stand in the closet, a couple, you know, just a couple inches away from the clothes. And that is what would deaden the sound and remove all of the background noise. So that way you could go back and you could use whatever free software. DaVinci Resolve is probably a good one to learn. And you could cut what you did down. So you might be able to make a 20-minute video into a 12-minute video that's a lot more streamlined and flows better because you already did it in real time and you cut back and re-record the audio. And that certainly helps from fumbling over any mistakes and you don't have to worry about memorizing too much because then afterwards you could just read your script over it. Uh, And then for post-processing, if you've done the lighting and the color correction, you shouldn't really have to worry about video. For audio, I really like the program Isotope Ozone. Now, it's super expensive, but every once in a while you get it for like Fifty bucks. I think there was some super sale a couple of years ago, and I got it the full suite for like thirty or something like that. And when this came out, this was like thousand dollar software. But really, you could use anything. Epos Fox has a tutorial that I used for a long time on how to use Adobe Audition to, uh, to process your audio. But basic things like noise filtering, compression leveling, stuff like that. Just the very, very, very basics. You don't have to go crazy. Um, I guess Adobe has this thing online where you could drag and drop your file and it does it automatically. I thought it came out terrible, to be honest with you. I didn't think I used one of the Q&As as as an experiment for that. Uh, But yeah, so uh, that was a really long answer. But basically, just take the time to set the video up right first. And even a cell phone's fine. Just use manual settings tripod don't have anything shaky always use tripods and then for audio if possible re-record after if not handheld stuff is fine but either way definitely process the audio using a mic in a quiet room or using your cell phone in a foam box i think i, I think i found a link to a foam box at some point i'll i'll drop that link in here as well just for reference but doing that stuff and then processing the audio will come out so much better. Even me talking into my closet versus talking in front of the camera when I was in New York was a massive massive difference. So that's basically it. It's not it's really hard the first time, but it's one of those that you'll start getting in your groove really quickly. And just try to make smart decisions too. Like here's the the last thing and then I'll I'll end this, but here's one of the dumbest moves I made. I bought a set of very nice lights, so that was a good move, and I used it for shoots, for interviews, for, I mean, that was definitely a smart move, but then I thought, well, I want to save some money, and I have that white box that I use, uh, you know, for shooting, like, pro-looking shots, so I'll save some money. I'll get the $40 version, so that every time I need to use the white box, I'll just set up my lights and set that up. So think about that. Every single time that I needed to take a picture of something in a white box, I had to uncover. You know this is back in Manhattan, too, so I couldn't leave anything in the box I had to, uh, out of the box. I had to box it all up when I was done. So I had to unpack all of this lighting. I had to unpack the power supplies for it. I had to set everything up on the table. then I had to set up the white box. then I had to make sure the lights were aligned so it didn't get any weirdness to it, and then take my shot all because I was too cheap to also buy a white box that has lights built in. So that $40 thing that I bought, which did work fine, was like 25 minutes of setup and 10 minutes of teardown every time I used it. I finally bought that just basic Amazon Basics white box. It was like 200 bucks, but setup is open it up and unfold it, plug it in. Teardown is coil the wires back up, tear it down, it folds up automatically. I mean, it is legitimately less than 1 minute up, less than 1 minute down. That $160 that I saved, quote unquote, for that year that I didn't have that was the dumbest thing I've done since I started retro RGB. I've lost so many hours of my life to because I was being stingy and saving money. So that's just the kind of thing, you know, if you're going to spend 8 bucks on a crappy tripod Cool, fine. You're only putting your cell phone on it. But if you were looking at like a hundred dollar tripod or like a hundred and fifty dollar one, and the one fifty one really had all the features that you actually want, save your money, you know. And tripod might not be the best example, but hopefully it could kind of just put things into perspective for you. So yeah, this was a uh, kind of rambly, but I just really wanted to to walk you through the mistakes that I made but also reinforce the fact that you really don't need a lot to start and you could probably end up with something that looks pro as long as you just you know, take your time, do it right and maybe not be afraid to have to redo it again if you need to. And now over on floatplane, Mike wants to know, should I go to Retro World Expo? Uh how how close are you? <laughs> I mean, I want to say yes. I always like meeting and hanging out with people. You know, I always want to encourage people to go to good events run by good people, people that actually care about retro, not just looking to exploit a dollar out of people who like these things. Retro World is awesome. I enjoy it. But if your question was, I live I live in Antarctica and I wanted to fly out to a retro gaming expo, should Retro World be the one I go to? I don't know. You're going to have to look at all of the expos this year. You're going to have to look at who's going to be there. Um, You have to take into account that people always cancel. Not, not a lot of people, but it does happen. There's always one every year. So are you going to see five people or are you going to see just two, you know, if one of those two people dropped out, would you still be, would you still think it was worth it? Um, Are you planning on buying stuff from vendors? If you're flying in, that's a big deal. If you're driving in, that's not. So you know, just assuming that you live in driving distance, obviously I'm answering this question for everybody listening, but assuming that you live within reasonable driving distance and, uh, or if it's kind of a longer drive and you wanted to get a hotel anyway, yeah, absolutely. I, I really, it really is my favorite expo. Everybody has been so nice. The people who run it really care. They, they try to go above and beyond to do things that fit and here's an example. The first couple of years they had bands playing and I am, maybe I'm just a grumpy old man, but I love live music so much. I've seen hundreds of shows, but when I go to an expo, I don't want to go to see a metal show. I would love to see like, um, too many games. I think has it in the room next door after the show winds down. That's amazing. But during the show, just kind of took away from it, as much as I love music and especially anything metal related. So Retro World did that for a year or two, and then they realized, you know, this really isn't flowing as well as I thought. So then they brought in wrestlers, and they brought in a pro wrestling team. In the first year, I was kind of skeptical, like, how good could this be? Holy crap, they brought it and the heels were so good especially around the little kids the heels were just getting the little kids all worked up and it was just adorable to see because you know a good heel in an environment like that's almost better than a good hero you know because it just gets everybody all riled up and so that's just a stupid but perfect example of like they really care they actually are trying to do as best as they can to make this something that feels good and fits and the cool thing about the wrestling match was it you know you could hear it every Everywhere. But if you don't really care about wrestling, that's fine, too. You could still ignore it and go about your business. It's not like blaring music where you have to shout to be able to hear your vendors or something. But when you hear them start, you could go right over and watch if you want all for free. It's all part of the price. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean to talk it up like I'm being paid to. I'm not. I've never been paid to go there. I, you know, if they did, I would refuse it because that crew has been amazing to me. But I just really love going. I love the people that go. I love everybody that hangs out there. You know, I I talked about Expo stuff um, a couple of months ago, so I don't want to rehash any of the negativity, but there really wasn't any from Retro World. You know, there's always going to be one or two people that are a bummer, but where in life are you going to not find that? So on the flip side, it's rare that you see so many friendly open to talk to people all in one spot that are just you could strike up a conversation with almost anybody and it would be totally normal. So yeah, I love that expo. I love going. I'm going to always go in some form, whether I just show up and hang out and high five a bunch of people or if I go and do panels and stuff like that. So um, if if you like this stuff, if you like retro, if you want to see a bunch of vendors, you want to see some uh, cool panels and just hang out with a bunch of weird retro gaming people like myself, then yeah, then absolutely go. But, you know, if you're gonna fly across the planet where you if you find a couple of large items that you always wanted but can't bring back on the plane with you. So now you're gonna have to find a way to ship it. And, you know, what if you're there to only really see one person and they drop out because they got sick the night before don't but i would say that about any expo so hopefully uh hopefully that was a fair and honest answer but seriously i i really do love going to that i love hanging out and talking with people there so never never feel bad stopping me if you want to hang out and say hi and if i ever am running it's probably just because i have to pee really bad so it's no offense just catch me when i'm on my way out after i wash my hands and everything (laughs) Well, that's it for this time. If you're new to these Q&As, ask any question that you would like wherever it is that you support, but please just put it in the newest Q&A post. The way the services work, I can't figure out what is a new question on an old post. Plus, as you saw here, I really like just scrolling through in real time and having a conversation as if we were sitting across from each other, hanging out somewhere. So, uh, you know, anything you got, fire away. And of course, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible, even just spreading the love and telling people about the channel letting people know their support services even if you're not in the position to support it's you who's keeping all this alive so thank you all so much and I will see you next time